Take up your cross then in his strength and calmly every danger brave. It guides you to abundant life and leads to victory or the grave. May Jesus Christ be praised and glorified both now and unto the ages of ages. Amen. A few weeks ago, the assistant rector and I were emailing back and forth about the COVID situation in Abilene and what the church's response ought to be. I remarked, threading this particular needle has been frustratingly difficult. Her pastoral and thoughtful response was, sure is, wish I could wave a magic wand, but alas. After a minute, I replied, I'd be pretty annoyed if you had a magic wand in your back pocket all this time. (laughs) Of course, my quippy and sarcastic response was unfair. Corey was just trying to be helpful, saying a version of what you say when someone close to you is in a difficult or intractable situation. I wish I could make all this go away. I wish I could do something to take away your pain. It's a deeply human response, one rooted in wanting the best for those whom we love. And I think it's this desire that motivates Peter in this morning's gospel reading. Jesus has just revealed his vocation to those closest to him. He has come to recognize that he is the Messiah, the one anointed by God to reveal God's purpose to the world. This recognition has been dawning over the last several chapters in Mark's gospel. As Corey noted last week, Jesus has been testing the waters, crossing boundaries to see how far his mission would take him. Finally, here at Caesarea Philippi, neither Jesus nor the people around him can stand it any longer. Jesus turns to his disciples and asks, who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And in Mark's gospel, this question is as much for Jesus as it is for the disciples. Jesus is looking for confirmation of what he suspects and maybe what he fears deep down in his heart. Jesus realized before anyone else that his vocation would set him on a collision course with the evil powers of this world. I think this is at least part of the reason why after Peter says, you are the Messiah, Jesus warns him not to tell anyone. Jesus wasn't quite ready to come to terms with his violent destiny. But it isn't long before Jesus starts to explain what all this means. His identity as the Messiah means that he will suffer and die at the hands of the authorities. His radical insistence that every human being is created in the image of God will put him at odds with both the political and religious establishments. And as Jesus explains how he is going to suffer and die, Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. 
In Matthew's version of this story, Peter exclaims, God forbid it, Lord. And it would be easy to assume that this is evidence of Peter's lack of faith, his failure to understand the true nature of Jesus' mission. We love doing that to Peter. (laughs) But in reality, it is a manifestation of Peter's deep humanity. Tell me there's something I can do to make this not happen. Tell me there's something I can do to take away your pain. And the response that Jesus offers, well, it seems far from comforting. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus responds to Peter's concern by saying, not only is there nothing you can do to make this all go away, you too will have to endure suffering in your life. It's important to note that the call to take up your cross, to take up our cross, has less to do with what Jesus accomplished on Calvary and more to do with the fact that living authentically requires us to endure difficult and sometimes overwhelming circumstances. When Jesus challenges us to deny ourselves, he invites us to abandon the illusion that we will be the first people in history to be in total control of our destiny, to recognize that no matter how much we wish we had one, we will never be able to wave a magic wand to take away our pain and uncertainty. In this moment of revelation and recognition, Jesus challenges us to acknowledge, in the words of the psalmist, that the cords of death will entangle us, the grip of the grave will take hold of us, and we will come to grief and sorrow. And when we come to terms with this reality, we are faced with a stark choice. On the one hand, we can focus exclusively on the present moment. After all, if we're destined for pain and suffering, if nothing we have will remain, why should we be preoccupied with who or what will come after us? This way of thinking is inherently selfish, of course, but it also has, well, seductive logic If I subscribe to this worldview, my life has a very clear purpose to do whatever it takes to satisfy my desires. But this approach, if taken to its logical extreme, leads inexorably to nihilism. If everything in life is only useful for satisfying our immediate desires, then, well, nothing actually matters. Nothing has value. Nothing is truly worth anything. On the other hand, is the vision of life that Jesus articulates and embodies in our gospel reading today. Because embedded in Jesus' sobering prophecy 
is a powerful and immutable conviction that God is faithful. The reason Jesus could confidently predict his suffering and death was because he trusted that God would be with him, that God would vindicate Jesus even after he suffered the loss of everything. Jesus did not wave away the cross with a magic wand. Jesus trusted that God would be faithful even when faced with the worst the world had to offer. In his faithful obedience, Jesus affirms that God does not create or redeem in vain. And this is the precise opposite of a nihilistic worldview. Since God is faithful, everything matters. There is nothing and no one who can be legitimately dismissed. Our lives have value even though we know they will come to an end someday. In just a few moments, we will baptize six young people into the body of Christ. And some might imagine and wish that baptism is supposed to function as a kind of sacred magic wand, something that allows us to wave away the pain and uncertainty of the world. But Jesus reminds us that we are not going to be spared from experiencing everything life offers, its joys and its sorrows. What baptism actually offers is a sacred and immutable pledge of God's faithfulness. In our baptism, we are promised that we will not have to endure the changes and chances of this life on our own. As we are marked with the sign of the cross in baptism, we are marked as Christ's own forever. Even when we come to grief and sorrow, our baptism reminds us to trust that the God who is faithful to Jesus Christ will also be faithful to us. Now, I'm going to be honest. This is not always easy to remember. Sometimes there are moments when the world seems too cruel. Sometimes there are moments when life seems too uncertain. Sometimes there are moments when the pain is just too great for us to remember that God is faithful. And it is in moments like this that the church steps in. Because it is the church that is the custodian of this promise. Week in and week out, Day by day, it is the church that affirms God's faithfulness, even when we can't manage to do it ourselves. And this is at least part of the reason that the church invites her members to the spiritual discipline of stewardship. Giving to the church is a way of nurturing our commitment to the promise of God's faithfulness. It's a way of affirming that we want God's faithfulness to be proclaimed even when we can't manage to do so for ourselves. 
when we are faced with the reality of loss, we have two distinct options. We can either give in to despair and live as though nothing in our life matters, or we can share in Christ's victory over death and trust with the church that God is faithful.